0: I invite you to turn open to Romans chapter 15. And as you do, I want you to think about what refreshes you. And that's maybe not hard to think about on a hot, sticky morning like this. What might be refreshing in this moment is an ice-cold glass of water. What might be refreshing is a dip in a cold lake or a cold shower, if that's what you're thinking about refreshing right now. But what, what else refreshes you? Time off? A book? kicking your feet up. What refreshes you? What refreshes you genuinely, eternally, inwardly? What truly refreshes you? Here Paul says that for him, Christian fellowship refreshed him. Being in the presence of godly people and true Christian fellowship as we will unpack what that is from this text this morning is not just a potluck. That's not fellowship. Lots of people sit down for food together. That doesn't mean it's fellowship. What is true fellowship? True fellowship results in genuine refreshing, and not just because there was good food. Here in Romans 15, I'm going to begin reading this last section for you, and we're going to look specifically at verse 32 today. Here he says, verse 30, this is God's word. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Verse 32 is where we're going to look at specifically this morning. He, he asks, like last week we talked about him asking for prayer, for them to strive together with him in prayer, so that he says here in verse 32, so that by God's will I may come to you. He, he desires to go to Rome on his way to Spain, the mission to Spain, but he wants to go to them. And he says, I love how he begins this section, and, and you may know some people who say this, and it's a good thing to say, it is by God's will. You know, if the Lord wills, like, oh, I'll see you tomorrow, God willing, right? It just means if God allows it, if this is God's way, if this is God's greatest desire, if this is going to glorify God most, this is what I am asking God to happen. But whatever God's will is, it's almost like Jesus' prayer in the garden, not my will, but your will. It's the same thing here. It's the same thing that godly people have said for centuries, if the Lord wills. So Paul says, pray for me so that by God's will, if it be God's will, I may be able to finally come to you and do it with joy. I may come to you with joy, not because I'm burdened or not because I feel obligated or not because someone asked me to, but with joy. And other translations say, with rejoicing, I may come to you. And we know, as I've discussed in the past, as we've read through this letter, Paul has longed to be with this group of Christians he's never met. He longs to be with them, and he's done so for a long time. And so he says, it'll be great rejoicing if I finally, finally get to come to you. But Paul, as we know, has been on his missionary journeys to go to different regions that have never even heard of Christ. And so there's not even a, a Christian presence. There's not a church established. Paul's going on frontier missions again and again and again, and oftentimes feeling so alone in it. He feels support from the churches at a distance. But you imagine just going into an unknown place and unknown people. Being all by yourself. And, but God is so gracious to Paul in encouraging him and allowing the ministry to, to flourish. But here he says, I'm going to be rejoicing if I get to come with you. But he also says it's not just about joy. It's not just about my joy. Am I? Because we know joy is not circumstantial, right? Biblical joy is not based on, all right, everything got sorted out. Your finances got fixed. Your marriage got fixed. Now you can have joy. Your health is better. Now you can have joy. That's not biblical joy. Biblical joy is a deep-seated contentment because who you are in Christ. And out of that comes happiness, but sometimes you're not happy, but you can still have deep-seated contentment and joy in Christ. So Paul says, I want to have joy, and I want my contentment and my rejoicing to grow as I come to you. That's my desire. That's why I want to come to you, because I know it'll be rejoicing for all of us. And he says, I want to be, here's the thing that I want to focus on this morning. I want to be refreshed in your company I want to be refreshed in your company and so sometimes if you are an introvert or an extrovert you know yourself and you think crowds drain me they do not refresh me that's what an introvert is that's how you can determine if you're an introvert or not is does a crowd and lots of people drain you or refresh you and so extroverts are just like oh man they get recharged when they go to like lots of people and there's buzzing and sound And extroverts love that kind of thing introverts they get drained out they're tired after a, a big gathering of people. But doesn't mean they don't do it. No. Because there's different types of refreshing. It's not about physical energy here, it's about spiritual refreshing. Paul's not just talking about, oh, I get to finally go on vacation. Or, I get to finally retire and put my feet up and do nothing. Paul still has a job to do, and he still wants to go to them for a very specific reason, which he mentions in the very first chapter. In the opening of his letter, when he's telling them he, he longs to come to them, here's what he says in Romans 1. Uh, if you want to follow along, you can. Romans 1, and he, beginning of verse 11, he says, For I long to see you, I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. But here's the thing he says, it's not just about me giving to you some strength. But he goes on to explain what this strengthening is. He says, that is that we may be mutually encouraged. But is it just like, hey, Paul, um, thanks for your report. We're going to encourage you. We're going to say that you've done a good job. That's what the encouragement Paul's looking for. No, he specifies. I want to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. It's about their faith. He wants to hear more. He's already heard. And that's what I love about Paul when he writes these churches. He's like, I've heard about your faith. So he wants to be in their presence and see their faith active and see their faith lived out and see how they, as a church, are encouraging and and exhorting one another in the faith. And he knows that that's encouraging. So he says, I want to be encouraged there. You by my faith and, and how I've trusted God and me how you've trusted God. This isn't just about some pat on the back encouragement. You telling me I've done a good job. This is about me seeing your faith in action. And you seeing my faith in action. And we all celebrating what God has done. That's what he says I want. I want to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Both yours and mine. He's not saying, well I'm just some super apostle. And you are going to be encouraged by me. Let me just come through town and give a little speech. And you're going to be just roaring. That's not what he's saying. He says, you... You unknown, piddly little Christians, you Christians who bicker back and forth, you Roman church, you got faith that I'm going to be encouraged by. No matter where I've been, no matter what I've seen, Paul has seen literally thousands of people come to faith. He's seen churches planted all over Asia Minor. He's seen the, the roughest of the rough come to be the most gentle when he looks in the mirror. And yet, he wants to be encouraged by these unknown believers, and he says they will encourage my faith. They will because I will see their faith. I will see them trusting in God and that will refresh me. But imagine if he goes and they just want to have a, a potluck and they all just want to talk about the weather talk about how the donkey ride was or, you know, what's it like in, in Corinth. That's all they want to talk about. Oh, what did you see in Corinth? Tell me about the, all your travels. Is he going to be encouraged in the faith? Of course not. You don't get built up in the faith when you just talk about fluff, when you just talk about the things of this world that are going to pass away, the things where uh, moth destroy and rust destroys. Those things, those things will not encourage your faith. So that's the thing. Sometimes that happens in our church communities, right, where we expect to go and to be filled up, to be encouraged, but we get fluff from all the other people. We go to a, a church potluck and you get fluff. And you walk away, it's like, okay, yeah, that was nice, and you know, we had a nice chat, but your faith is not strengthened. Your faith is not refreshed. You may be just as spiritually depleted walking away from that conversation as when you went in. If that's the case, it's not fellowship, and it's not a healthy church. And that happens all the time. It happens here. It happens all over the world where people, unfortunately, we're just trained to think shallowly, Right? Tell me about your car. Tell me about your kids. Those things are great and good relationship building blocks. But they are not the final goal of a church fellowship, of a church conversation. The goal, as Paul says, I want to go to Rome so that I may be refreshed in your company. He's not being refreshed by them showing off their house or talking about the weather they've experienced. He wants, he says, to go so that they can be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, yours and mine. And then he carries on in chapter 1. He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but have thus far been prevented. And I want to come, he says, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. And then he carries on in verse 16. He says, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome. I love that in verse 16. I want to come and be encouraged by your faith. I'm going to preach the gospel to you. Oftentimes we think the gospel is the entryway to the Christian life. And once you have preached the gospel to someone and they've accepted the gospel and they they embrace Jesus Christ, then you don't got to preach the gospel to them anymore. And you just go on talking about whatever. Paul says, no. In order for me to to encourage you and you to encourage me, I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm so eager to preach the gospel to you Christians in Rome. He was eager to preach the gospel because he knew the gospel and the gospel preached was the building block of faith, right? What does Romans 10 say? So faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of Christ. It's about hearing the gospel. That's where our faith is fueled up. And so he says, I want my faith to be encouraged. I want your faith to be encouraged. What's the way we do that? By preaching the gospel to one another. By celebrating the gospel we have believed with one another. By not thinking that we're beyond the gospel. We are in need of the gospel every single day. We need to remind ourselves of the gospel, that we are forgiven not because we got it right, that we are in God's family, not because we made some sort of life change ourselves. We are in God's family and we are forgiven because of Christ. We need that reminder every day. And boy, does that encourage faith rather than legalism. Because if you just preach, all right, Jesus to enter in. Now you keep it up. And I'm going to encourage your faith. And you keep up these 25 things. And how have you been doing on your 25 things? Well, what if I flopped on all 25 things I was supposed to do? What if all my spiritual disciplines have depleted? Do I have no faith? Not at all. And the faith is built by the gospel and the preaching of Jesus. You didn't need those spiritual disciplines for Jesus to love you, by the way. You needed empty hands and a humble heart. You needed confession and repentance of your own sin and your own ability to trust in yourself. You need Christ. And you need that day in and day out. And so he says, if you want your faith to be built up and encouraged, preach the gospel. That's why he said, I am eager to come to you that we may be encouraged. So Paul's expecting them to preach the gospel to him as well. He says, I want my faith built up. And the only way my faith is going to be built up is if you preach the gospel to me. If you preach the gospel you tell me what I need to hear. That I don't just need to clean up my act or stop talking that way or stop being so angry. I need to hear that Christ loves me regardless and that Christ is at work in me and that I need to trust him for that. That I need to walk with him. That I need to come under his word and be refreshed. This what Paul is seeking here back to chapter 15 where he says I may come with joy and be refreshed in your company. That's why I want you to pray that I can come so that I might be refreshed. This should be a part of every usual church gathering or, or, or God's people in general. They should be a place of refreshing and oftentimes they're a place not of refreshing. Oftentimes people walk away from the church feeling battered, beat down, judged. Why is that? It's because we have people who are trying to tout, not the gospel, but tout their religion or tout their religiosity or their ability to keep the law or their ability to look at me and what I have become. But if you just preach the gospel, the gospel is is for humble, broken, sick people. And humble, broken, sick people who hear that there is a remedy and that it's not final in this life and that it's okay that you're still broken because I'm still broken. That's where we get refreshing in Christian fellowship where we have honest gospel conversations. But it's a regular part of the church. It's expected of the church. Paul, when he writes these letters to all these different churches in the New Testament, you can look through and see how each church is an encouraging place. And it's a refreshing place. But each one is a place where the gospel is preached and they serve one another in that capacity. When speaking to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 16, he says, He says, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore recognize such people. He says, there's people in the, in the Corinthian church and they are working hard to refresh people's souls. They are working hard to refresh people's souls, reminding them that Christ loves them, reminding them of the grace of God, reminding them of the forgiveness and the hope they have in Christ, encouraging them in the spiritual gifts they have, serving them, being served by them, so therefore being refreshed. Paul says that happened in Corinth. In Second Corinthians, he says, 2 Corinthians seven thirteen. He says, "For this reason, we have been comforted. In addition to our comfort, we rejoiced even more over the joy that Titus had, because his spirit was refreshed by all of you." So he's encouraging them that they encouraged Titus, they refreshed Titus by praying for him, supporting him, encouraging his ministry, serving him how they could. In 2 Timothy, in 1.16, he says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesimus. Uh, well, um, I don't know this, his name. I didn't read it before. <laughs> it, anyways. Because uh, he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. One is Forrest. That's his name. May the Lord grant you mercy in the household of him because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. He made it his intention to refresh Paul. Do you think that was just through water, through supplies? Possibly. But I doubt it ended there. It would have been a refreshing in the Lord, an encouragement in the faith, an encouragement for Paul to carry on. In Acts 27.3, it says... um, Julius treated Paul kindly and allowed him to go to his friends to receive their care. And I don't think their care was just physical. It wasn't just physical. Because Paul mentions time and time again the refreshing was of his soul, of his spirit. Yes, they supplied his physical needs as he was imprisoned. They sent paper, papyrus. They sent food. They sent clothing. But more than that, they sent encouragement through the Word But what's the purpose of our refreshing? What's the the point of it all? Where does it flow from and to? In Philemon it says in in verse 7, For I have great joy and encouragement from your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Great encouragement and joy from your love. And we know love is sacrifice. Love is not self-seeking. Love is thinking about others first. So he says, Philemon has encouraged and been refreshing to others. Says in verse 20, Philemon, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Refresh my heart in Christ. Point me to him. The only place of my refuge and my strength. My help in time of need. Point me to Christ. Well, how do we do this in the church gathering? How was it? Seen in the New Testament, what was the usual way that they encouraged one another? Well, they used hospitality. And Paul mentions that it always seems to be mixed with how they helped him practically, physically. But at the same time, it was a spiritual upbuilding. It was through hospitality, not just a potluck, not a social gathering. Hospitality is much different than social gatherings, than meals together. Hospitality is not just inviting someone over for dinner. The word in the scriptures used for hospitality literally translates a lover of strangers. It's a person that doesn't deserve it or you don't know, is not going to pay you back, and they are loved by you. So you express that love through having them over, inviting them for a meal, providing for them, praying with them, giving them scripture to remember. Hospitality is much more, and it's not just a dinner. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield wrote a book, uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key all about biblical hospitality. And one thing she says is, radically ordinary hospitality is this, using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers, neighbors, and neighbors, family of God. It seeks to make strangers, neighbors. You draw them in, they're strangers, you draw them in to make them neighbors. And then you want those neighbors to become family in the family of God. That's the whole point of hospitality is how do you make those steps? Inviting a stranger in, serving them, serving them well, but not just through uh, entertainment. That's not hospitality. It's not the same thing. Hospitality is not entertainment. Hospitality is sharing. It's sharing. Sharing your life with, that's hospitality. It's not about, okay, you sit down and I'm just only going to serve you. It's inviting them in, inviting them along. Rosaria Butterfield, if you ever get a chance to listen to anything she's talked about hospitality, it's, it's, It's crazy what her and her husband do. Like, they literally open their home. Neighborhood flows in and out. Like, the neighborhood doesn't even knock anymore. Uh, They don't even go to her church, but they just know that they can walk into her house and grab something off the stove. I mean, she says, yeah, that's the way it should be. These strangers are now neighbors, and these neighbors I want in the family of God. And what is the family of God? But welcoming. It's not judging them. It's not requiring anything of them. It's just saying, you come. If you've got need, You come. It's like, what a great message to be able to preach that to them. Why they say, why do you do such a thing? She says, because I've been welcomed. I did not belong. I was not welcome in the family of God because of my life. But Christ welcomed me. That's the whole point of hospitality. That's the whole point of serving other people in practical ways, is to build those spiritual bridges so that people may actually be refreshed, not just with a full stomach, but with a full heart. A heart of gospel truth. That the strangers are welcome. That those who are undeserving are accepted. That's the gospel refreshing we need in our lives and we need to extend out of our lives. The goal is relationship. It's relationship that builds to a relationship with the Lord. So why would we do it? Why do we sacrifice of ourselves? Why do we give of ourselves in order to refresh the spirits of other people? Because that's the whole point of discipling. You know, uh, when Jesus gave his disciples the Great Commission, including us, it was to go and make more disciples. It's to disciple people, to teach them, to encourage them in the faith. That's our job. But why would we do that? Why would we love in such a sacrificial way that takes time out of my calendar, takes resources out of my pocket so that I might serve others? John thirteen thirty five says, By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. And as I said just earlier, love is sacrifice. Love is thinking about others first, serving others first. And when we do that, they'll know that we're his disciples, that we belong to his family. In Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2, he says, "Uh, Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken by any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore that person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you're not tempted, carrying one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry one another's burdens. That's also how we can refresh one another in the church. But here's the thing. If you don't know one another's burdens, how are you to carry them? In order to know another person's burdens, they ought to be humble, be able to trust you, be willing to share and put themselves on the line. It is it is hard. And most people admit that in a church they think, Well, who can I trust? Who can I trust with this secret or this burden of mine? Like this is really heavy stuff. Who can I trust? But isn't that part of faith? It's just trust. So trust that God will do as he needs to do. Trust that God might humble you through a person who is going to share your secret. What is it in the end? We all will die and our secrets will either be exposed or they'll die with us. Who cares? Like bring the burden to someone so that they may help you carry it. That's our job as the church, as the people of God, is to carry one another's burdens. That's how we refresh one another. If I've got 100 pounds to carry and it's just me, i got this burden on me and I don't share it with anyone and I'm trying to pretend like I'm all okay. Well, what happens if I say, hey, I invite one person in to share that burden with me, to pray with me, as Paul mentioned, as I said last week, just sharing the prayer burden even. That's only 50 pounds I have to weigh now and the other person gets to carry 50 pounds. It's a beautiful thing. Now if four people get to join in, the load gets lighter and lighter when the burden is spread out. Some burdens obviously you have to bear yourself. There's natural consequences for our sins. But other burdens are, are heavy on the heart, and we can we can as a community lift those up and with one another so that the burden can be lighter. But it takes humility. But that's what part of community and family is. It's it's about faith in God and what he desires to do in his people. In Hebrews ten it tells us the point of gathering, the point of church says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who is promised is faithful. So it gives the reason. We do it because God is faithful. It says, and let us consider one another. Consider one another. In order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as the day is approaching. So it gives you a timeline like the day is drawing near and we feel that the day of either your death or the Lord's return is drawing near. And so that's the encouragement and that's never going to stop. It's not like, okay, cool. Clock's on pause here. Like your day of death is one day closer. You realize that The, the return of the Lord is one hour closer than when you arrived here this morning. And he says that's the motivation for you to be able to consider one another. Don't just look to yourselves like your life will be over in a flash. Consider one another In order to provoke love and good works. So don't neglect to meet together. But encourage one another by being together, by serving one another. Let us hold fast for confession since he is faithful. He's faithful to us, to serve us, to to give us what we need. But how he does that most often is through the family of God. How we are to get spiritual refreshing. You might have a great refreshing time. You and your Bible and a cup of coffee might be very refreshing spiritually. But how about you and 20 others in their cups of coffee and Bibles? And you encouraging each other with what you have seen. You you saying, God showed me this, or God corrected me of this, or God uh, just really enlightened me about this. God showed me that he is faithful again and again, and I've not been feeling that lately. Like How encouraging is it to sit around with others and, and experience that refreshing together? That is true Christian fellowship. It's about discipling one another, caring for the, the spiritual needs of one another. That's true fellowship, and that's where true refreshing comes from. But why is this challenging to do? Why is this such a challenge? Why are 99.9% of churches in North America not refreshing? It's because we're self-focused. We come as consumers. Well, what can I get? Well, what refreshing can I get? What's comfortable to me? What do I like? And that's why we all walk out with maybe you feel like your needs were met or maybe you don't. But you hadn't given of yourself to anyone. And if only one person's giving to you versus if 50 people are giving to each other, that's where the encouragement and fellowship truly flows. It's challenging for us because we don't want to share. We're just like children don't want to share. You know that, but that never leaves us. Like we are so reluctant sometimes with so tight fists. We do not want to share our time. This is just my time, my downtime. I realized that that um, when I got married, I realized how selfish I was with my time. Like, I wanted my time still. And this is my time. Just leave me. And that that broke over a few years of these humbling experiences. And it ought to. That's what happens in relationship. And so that ought to happen in a church family relationship is we ought to. Humbly say, okay, this is not my time anymore. Like, my evenings could be and should be used for the sake of another person's refreshing for their soul. Like, I know they're going through a hard time. Why don't I just take them out for a coffee and pray with them? That's it. Like, I can refresh that person or I can just sit here and turn on my Netflix and I can be refreshed. Yeah, right. Right? It's a faulty refreshing. We do it because we have self in mind. But here's the thing. If we all did, it's kind of like with a marriage. If you... If you focus your energy and your effort on serving the other person and you both did that well, you're equally going to be served well. You're going to be well cared for, well loved. Well, that happens in a family too, in a family unit. If you all think about serving one another instead of serving yourself, then everyone's going to be served well because we need each other that way. And so that's what happens in the family of God too. That's why God designed us in the way he did. Some of us are unable to do certain things. Some of us have incredible gifts in other areas. But God designed us that way so that we would need each other. But what happens is we begin to crumble and get tired when we just think we need ourselves or we just serve ourselves or we serve those who are comfortable. That's the point of uh, that definition of hospitality is the stranger. To love the stranger. Not just those you're comfortable with. Not just those who share the same interests as you. But that's what makes the gospel beautiful in a church transformation. Is when the gospel transforms people, it doesn't matter if you share the same hobby as me. I'm going to love you. I'm going to spend my evenings with you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to pray with you. It doesn't matter if we're the same, same age, same race, same... It doesn't matter. That's the beauty of the family of God. Is there is no Jew nor Greek, male, female, slave or free. In the family of God, those categories are gone. We are all just people who need Christ and we need encouragement in Christ. And so then when we realize what the gospel has brought us into, we'll want to serve that very purpose. How can I serve those around me? And how can those around me serve me? Because sometimes people just don't know. So you need to be able to make that known. As Paul did, as I mentioned last week and I read today, he asked them, strive together with me in prayer. I need help in prayer. What have you been asking other people to strive with you in? How have you asked other people to encourage your faith? Maybe a part of your faith or your journey or your spiritual disciplines is fluttering. Have you told someone so that they might encourage you, so they might refresh you? Maybe you've flopped at your Bible reading this year. Someone might have a really refreshing idea that they tried last year when they flopped. A book they read. A little study plan. You don't know until you admit it to other people. i failed a Bible reading. Who who can help? If I'm failing a prayer, who can help? Right? And and there alone is when the refreshing comes. It's not until you admit that you have symptoms, that you're sick, that you go to the doctor and get a cure. So what have you admitted lately to others? Because unless you do, you will not be refreshed. You you might be able to give yourself little sips here and there and and get a little bit just from being together as a church and, and hearing the word preached and singing together, little snippets. But, oh, we can get so much more refreshing when we come together, as Paul says that he is eager to do at the church in Rome. We put this into practice by reading books together and talking about them, by by having prayer lists that we share, by doing the same Bible reading plan, By, by praying for certain people, by asking for prayer for a friend who's not a believer. This is how we refresh one another in the faith. We do it by praying. We do it by preparing. We do it by pursuing. We pray that we would have refreshing and that we would refresh other people. We prepare, we we set time in our schedule, we set time in our lives to be able to sacrifice for others. We set time in our finances to be able to sacrifice for others. And we pursue. We pray, we prepare, and we pursue. We pursue other people. We pursue serving others. We pursue relationship. And we do it. That pursuit is not just, how can I help you? But we take the example from Paul who says, let's just be mutually encouraged here. I need you to preach the gospel to me. My I'm struggling in this area. It's a mutual encouragement. It's never a, I'm up here and you're down there. And that's the beauty of the family of God. We're all at different walks. But yet God says, you can all serve one another. If you've been a Christian for an hour, you can serve a believer who's been one for 60 years. We can serve one another. We can encourage one another only if we reach out in in humility, but also in genuine sacrifice so that we might love one another. It's a great joy to be refreshed by the family of God. And Paul longs for it. He knows that'll come when he goes through Rome. He cannot wait. He mentions it time and time again. I've longed to come to you to be encouraged. And here he says, to be refreshed in your company. May this be God's will. He's just begging that God would allow this to happen, that this would be most glorifying to God. May that be our desire too. That as we come together as a church family, as we uh, represent God in our very neighborhoods, that we would have Um, Not just be refreshed, but that we would be refreshing to others. That we would be the ones who preach the gospel to one another. That we would live out the life of sacrifice that Christ has as well. That we might be those who not only are refreshed and therefore fueled up to serve, but that we are refreshing others. We are pursuing and seeking opportunities to refresh other people, not just with a glass of cold water, but their souls. Have you refreshed someone's soul lately? And maybe you're on the other end where you're like, man, I got nothing to give because I am depleted. I need refreshing. Isn't it so? We all do. We are all depleted day in and day out, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. So then who's going to be the first one to say, all right, with God's help, I'm going to take this step. I want to refresh other people even if I'm empty. I want to do it. Because the point of that is you honestly, as Paul mentioned, you get mutually encouraged. You get mutually encouraged. You will get filled up, built up when you say, hey, let's just read a book together. Let's chat about this book. Let's pray for this person together. Let's meet one time a month and pray. Can we do that? And there comes the mutual filling up where you thought, oh man, it's going to be so exhausting to pour myself out to refreshing other people. You don't realize in the end that you will be refreshed. So that's where it comes. It's through us sacrificing. It's exactly walking the gospel path. Admitting that we have nothing to bring clinging to God for help and saying, God, this is all you. It's the same path to refreshing as it was to repentance and belief in the gospel. It's all through him and for his glory. So let's be those who pursue this, pray for this and prepare for this. Let me pray. Oh God, we are so thankful that you are a God who is unlimited in the power that you have and in the wisdom that you have and in the resources that you have, the grace that you bestow upon us is measureless and we need it God we need it because we are uh, desperate in our souls for refreshing we need it because we sin every day and that discourages us it makes us feel guilty and condemned we need the gospel and sometimes we are so deaf to our own voice we can't believe ourselves because we know we can't be trusted help us as the people of God to encourage one another And so be a refreshment to others so that even as Paul longed for refreshment in this Roman church, that people might long for spiritual refreshment here among us. That we would be people who are so refreshed and refreshing to one another that those who are are depleted may come and they might find rest. Not because we ourselves are anything special, but because you, O God, are at work in us and through us to sacrifice and to serve one another, to encourage one another's faith with the gospel. Thank you for the time that you gave us this morning to be together. Pray that we would have encouraged one another, and we do so even as we leave this place. We pray that for your honor and glory. In Christ's name, amen.